I believe we all have a mythic place, a place we lived long ago or where we never lived that feeds our imaginations, a place where the food tastes better, where old men sitting on benches talk poetry without even knowing it, or where the late afternoon sun is richer than anywhere else. It could be Naples or Philip Roth's Newark or County Cork. But for me, that place is... At the farm, here we are, said... Here we are, said Father. Here we are at the farm. Uh-oh, said Jane. Yeah, that's right. My mythic place is Dick, Jane, and Sally's grandparents' farm. Last Sunday, my husband and I were in Stanton, Virginia. We went into a New Age bookstore called The Sacred Circle, and almost immediately I saw it, an antique copy of Fun with Dick and Jane. I picked it up and turned to the page that was etched into my memory, a double-truck illustration spreading across pages 46 and 47. On the left side, there's a great big monster of a car. Father wears a Mad Men-style fedora, and Mother looks positively Betty Draper, minus the scowl. Jane and Sally are clutching teddy bears, but already chasing after Dick, who, on the right page, is just about to leap into Grandmother's arms. No Nanas or Mimas in this world. In the magical pages to follow, there are horses, hens, and newborn kittens, and a country kitchen where Grandmother makes cookies with the kids. I'm Debbie Gallant, and this is Stuff.Life, a podcast about our relationship with things. If you're one of my three dozen or so listeners, you heard me bitching and moaning in my last episode about having way too many books, and yet now... Fun with Dick and Jane. Yeah, that's a nice little find. Uh-huh. It sort of takes you back in time. Buying it. And as I said to the clerk, I've actually come back to buy it after having let it go the previous afternoon. But as I explained to my husband Warren in the car, I'm buying this book because I think it holds the key to something important inside my heart. So here's why I wanted Dick and Jane, because my experience with the country and wanting to live in the country was born here. And I'm going to find the page. Fun at the farm. Ah, the country. I did live in the country exactly once, in North Carolina, when I was in grad school. I've also been many times to the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, an artist colony which inhabits a former farm in central Virginia, and where I delight in all the iconography that the farm provides, the silos, the barn buildings, the corn crib that doubles as a writer's studio. But right after grad school, I met and married a guy who loves cities, New York City in particular. Our compromise for 27 years, the place we raised our kids, Glen Ridge, a quaint Victorian suburb about 14 miles from Manhattan. But lately, as we look for a cheaper place to retire, I'm finally getting a chance to look at the countryside I hold so dear. So we've been house hunting in the Hudson Valley, a place funky enough for Marina Abramovich to choose for her planned performance art museum, but also where the Trump signs on the rural routes can feel like the warning sign from The Wizard of Oz. I'd turn back if I were you. And that, along with the absence of any people of color, is making me second-guess my affection for Dick, Jane, and Sally and their grandparents' mythical farm and leading me to discuss it ad nauseum with anybody who happens to step in my path. 
But okay, here's my deepest fear. Is Uh-oh. that I'm buying into this Donald Trump thing of making America great again by by feeling this affection for this thing what from thing? the pa- the page I showed you. Oh, that page. Okay. Yeah. By feeling this affection for this page and this mm-hmm. you know mid-century, you so know. So you want the uh, nostalgia scope? That's my friend Noel, who actually grew up on a farm. We're sitting in the kitchen with Warren, where I've hijacked the conversation again. Yeah, I want the nostalgia mm. stove. Tell me, have I have I gone too far? Have I have I? You might. Am you I? Yeah. I might have. Yeah, you might have. Okay. Is yeah. it like Sambo? I even made the children I asked to read Dick, Jane, and Sally participate in this social analysis. Yeah. Wearing They're wearing gloves in this. And <laughs> That's Ila Adichevich, who read the Dick, Jane, and Sally for me with her brother Amir. She's eight. He's nine. And although they like the pictures in the book, they're not missing any subtext. I think I, I know another reason why this is um, all white people. Why? Um, that this book um, came out in 1940, so um, America was still segregated. Uh, and um, there wasn't a lot of books with black people in it, unlike like The Drinking Gourd and things like that. Like the what? Dr- the drinking gourd. There's a lot of noise on the playground, so when Amir talks about the drinking gourd, I think he's talking about drinking fountains, the ones that said colored back in, well, actually until I was about eight. But he's actually talking about a book called The Drinking Gourd, which is a level three reader about the Underground Railroad. That is, it's just one level higher than Fun with Dick and Jane, so it's teaching children to read But at the same time, it's teaching them about the fugitive slave law. Of course, those of us who grew up in the 1960s ultimately got an education about civil rights. Martin Luther King was assassinated when I was 12. But when I was learning to read, we were still in a bubble of innocence. I decided the person I really wanted to talk to about all of this was my friend Amy Selwyn, social commentator extraordinaire. Amy didn't disappoint, even though she couldn't share in my nostalgia. Dick, Jane, and Sally drank altogether too much milk. In the Jewish neighborhood in West Hartford, Connecticut, where Amy grew up, everybody was lactose intolerant. But if Amy didn't share in my nostalgia... I think there was some longing for that. You know, I think there was, there was some longing for being, um, you know, being athletic... <laughs> really, you know, being able to run, they had like endless amounts of stamina. Um, they also weren't, there seemed to be no pressure applied to, uh, to any of these kids, and I'm making my parents sound like ogres, they weren't at all. It was it was the general pervasive cultural trend that, you know, you talked about things like what college were you going to go to when you were in third grade. These kids seemed immune from that. In fact, right on the spot, she coined a term, extreme normalcy. And extreme normalcy world was different from the one Amy grew up in. Not only were the children prodigious milk drinkers who were allowed to just be children, but there was also a lack of any danger. I was actually reading ahead this morning when I was having my smoothie, and there's a there's a there's a chapter of this book where Sally gets lost and on a bus, and and nobody's panicked about it. They're getting off the city bus. They've all gone for a little expedition, and they go and Sally's a little one, and they go oh 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 where is Sally? And it was a double decker bus, which. I, by the way, have, had never seen in America in that era. And she's up there by herself. And I'm thinking, wow, what a slacker mom. They would be sending her to child services now if you got, if you had. 
Absolutely. You know, the idea of getting lost and the, the danger, I'm always struck when I meet people, and there are millions of them, obviously, whose childhoods did not include frequent reference, and I don't say this to be funny, frequent reference to the Holocaust hmm. and the idea that there is extreme danger. It's lurking. I, how many times did I hear my parents say, if you think this couldn't happen again, you know, you're foolish or you're crazy. And and that specter, uh, it hung over our household, although no one in my family was directly affected by it. So I think there was this sense of there's danger out there. And the farther that you strayed from your community, the, the greater the sense of danger so mm-hmm. that, and I don't mean to make my parents sound like nervous wrecks because they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just something, and, and maybe that's the point. It was just something that was, that was there in the background. They weren't nervous people and they didn't say, oh my God, you know, you can't go to New York by yourself for the day when, when I was in high school. Yeah, I could. But there was always a sense that the larger world out there, while worth exploring and, and fascinating, was also extreme, could be extremely dangerous. And I wonder if, you know, partly that informed, I suspect it did, um, informed the way I unconsciously, um, subliminally felt about the world. And the idea of getting lost would have been, that would have been really scary. Right. Right, it wouldn't have been, oh, 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 there is Sally. Um, the other thing is, since this is for Stuff.Life, is why I needed to buy this thing. And also, I bought, uh, while I was on vacation this summer, a Viewmaster. Also, 1940s, 50s, 60s technology. This happened to be a fairly cool. handsome one with these these slides. But, you know, I still have lazy eyes. I still can't see the 3D effect that everybody else tells me about in these things. And yet there is something in me that wants to sort of collect these items of, of my childhood um, I think if I could find a car bingo game that was imprinted from that era, I would buy that too. Uh, what do you make of this? I mean, is there anything from that era that you would like want or covet or that you do have? I covet an original, um, an original version of the game Lie Detector. Oh. I, I loved that game. You know, thick lower lip for some reason sticks in my mind. <laughs> one of the. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one where where you had a different villain and your brothers and sisters tried to figure out your villain based on certain clues? Yes. Oh, and somebody God. did a crime and then you, you put this sort of magic pen <laughs> into a buzzer and if you were the villain, oh, it was, it was a lie detecting machine. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was as I come to think of it. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to have that again. In my memory, it has taken on mythic, mythic levels of, of you know, cleverness and but, you know, I, I'm not surprised at all that, that these things are appealing because I feel the same way about, I don't know, magazines, like Life magazine from 1955. I saw one recently, and I, I just was so, I was unnaturally drawn to it. And I think it's because we're being, personal opinion here, you know, we are being fed this story, which I, I believe is not true, I believe it's a lie, a dangerous lie, but that, you know, we have someone who's been elected on the basis of we're going to make America great again. And to me, what that really harkens back to, let's leave all the ugliness of what that actually means, let's leave that aside for a moment, 
I think people are nostalgic for something that felt safer and offered possibility and, you know, didn't mean you were going to be 22 and so laden with debt and, you know, you'd never get out of it or you could never afford to go to school or you couldn't afford to get well if you got sick. You know, I think I think we are longing for this nostalgia. I, did, I don't mean that's how I voted. But I think this election has, has really raised this issue. But I, you know, I'm a good liberal or progressive and uh, like you, I, you know, so how am I being trapped by this? Is this something that is, you know, that's why I asked if it's retrograde. Is this is this something that is bigger than Donald Trump? You know, do you think? Yes, I believe it is. Yeah. I believe it is. You know, I think we are being when I put on my most positive hat, I believe what's happening is that there's a call to reality, which is, especially for social progressives like us, which is, look, you know what, in order to really make things better, we have to acknowledge where we truly are. And where we truly are is not necessarily where we've been led to believe we are. There are deep, deep problems. I suspect people of color would would certainly agree with that. They would say, no, it's not nearly, yes, we elected a black president, but, you know, if you think racism is over in this country, dream on. Mm. Um, So I I think there is something, you know, you, you are a journalist and you are a storyteller. And I think in order, this to me, it makes perfect sense. It's like, well, we're being fed an idea, a concept about something that I think isn't really here. So what did it look like? And what was it like back when, when people created things on the basis of an America that, you know, looked so much more promising? There's a garden, what a garden, only happy faces bloom there, and there's never any room there for a worry or a gloom there. And here's what the text of Fun with Dick and Jane does tell us. In extreme normalcy world, the world not only of Dick, Jane, and Sally, but which we all seem to be trying to recreate at Thanksgiving and Christmas, girls like Jane did help their mothers set the table. And a family could visit the zoo without anybody pointing out that the animals seem sad outside their native habitats. It's also an America where grandparents didn't speak like this. Hey, Vern, how are you doing in school? You got a girlfriend. Where black people didn't exist. And where the closets gay boys hid in were as deep and thick as fallout shelters. What about the type? It's like they're repeating things, oh, and it's, it's kind of a little bit weird. Kind of so. babyish? Yeah. Yeah, it's an early reader. It's really meant yeah. for kids that are like... But um, the pictures are really detailed, and it looks really fun. It, it looks fun? Thanks to Isla and Amir Adichevich and their mother Selma for lending me their young voices and fresh hearts. Also to Noel Nowicki, Amy Selwyn, my husband Warren Levinson, and everybody else who put up with my Dick, Jane, and Sally talk this past week. Music in this episode is from Stefano Vita, Shake That Little Foot, and the Andrew Sisters. You can listen to Stuff.Life wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if you like what you hear... For heaven's sake, share it with somebody. Dick said, Oh, grandmother, I saw three red hens go to the barn. They have eggs in the barn. I will look for the eggs. Jane can help me. Yes, yes, said Jane. It is fun to look for eggs.